Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, we're one week away from Easter. It's hard to believe. It's Palm Sunday weekend. And I don't know about you, it it feels like this Easter has come pretty quickly this year. Maybe it's all that we're going through, but it's one of my favorite times of year. And I want to make sure that you partake with us, that you celebrate with us, that you remember. We'll have Good Friday services and Easter services on campus and online. And so whether you want to come and join us on Good Friday as we remember what Christ did on the cross, or you want to come on Easter and join us in one of the four outdoor services, or maybe you're far away and you can only join us digitally. However you do, we're glad that you're here and we want you to be a part of it. We're in this series where we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus, and specifically the ones out of the book of John. These miracles that point to the fact that, as we've entitled it, he's a marvel. He he really is able to do what no one else could do. And John wrote his book because he wants us to understand that these miracles point out something about Jesus that we need to believe. Now, I've loved this series, not only looking at Jesus' miracles, but but also, frankly, the ones you've been sending in. I keep getting more stories, uh, ones we can't even cover now with it. But it reminds me again that God loves to move, sometimes in extraordinary ways. And that's the thing about miracles. And I'll say this again at the beginning, because I know for some of you, it's really hard to believe in miracles. Trust me, we know this is outside the norm. We, we know that the standard way that our universe, that God operates in it, these miracle stories, they stand out for that very reason. And, and specifically, the ones that John points out. And as anytime we talk about miracles, you know, there's a question that I always have in my mind, and maybe you experience as well. It's not so much the miracles Jesus did do, but the ones he didn't do. The people he didn't heal. And specifically in my life, the people I've prayed for. You know, I've shared with you some of the loss and the struggles over the last few years. I was pretty open with the struggle of my nieces, two little girls who battled a horrible disease. And both of them lost their lives at the age of six and seven. In fact, the last few weeks have been particularly tough. As just as going through the different circumstances. A close friend who, who went back into surgery because cancer came back for the third time. I was on the phone today with a young mom as she uh, is wrestling with the fact that her husband has just been put in hospice. And they're praying. We've been praying for his healing. They've got a one-year-old little boy. You know, this week I'll I'll do the memorial service of a close friend, a mom who passed away in her early 40s, four kids, after three years of battling pancreatic cancer. I'm feeling it right now. Maybe you are too. And when you come to these kind of circumstances, especially times when you've been praying, and we're talking about miracles, and we see these awesome ways that God shows up in times when He answers those prayers. And then we wrestle with these other times, struggling with, God, what are you doing here? 
It's one of the reasons I, I love going back to these gospel stories. I go back to the life of Jesus. And I, I would encourage you, that's why it's so important as we read through the New Testament, these stories of how Jesus interacted, of how he healed, what he did do and what he didn't do, and sometimes the way that he did it teaches us the most. Today we're in John chapter 11, and we're looking at one of the greatest miracles. In fact, John has been building up to a point because he's going to move next weekend, we'll look the greatest miracle of all. But this week in John chapter 11, we look at this story as Jesus deals not with just strangers in the crowd, but close friends of his. In fact, Jesus, you got to remember, he was a single adult male. He wasn't married. And so his friendships were really important to him. And he had his disciples that he did life with, but he also had a group of friends that he was really close to, particularly one family, a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And we know the stories about them. But in John chapter 11, Lazarus is ill. And, and because he's ill, the sisters, they look to Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is the miracle maker. Jesus is the one that's able to do these things. He's the marvel. And so, of course, if you're a close friend and your friend can do something about it, you reach out to him. L look in the story as we read, starting in verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, and, and notice what they put here, he whom you love is ill. This isn't just some random person. This is somebody you love. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's a little bit of a strange answer. I don't know about you. If I get a phone call and I find out somebody I love, somebody I'm close to, is ill, and specifically if I could do something about it, I get alarmed pretty quick. Now Jesus kind of steps back and he says, well, this doesn't lead to death. And, and I'm a little confused here if you know any of the story. But Jesus said, I'm going to do something here that God is glorified. And that's an important thing to note in this. That he always has the big picture in mind, and he's looking at the glory of God, and specifically how God will be glorified through him. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So it's not for a lack of love that he's not moving. He loves them. But when he heard that Lazarus was ill, and this is the other one, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Two days. Now, again, if, if you're Martha or Mary, or, or sometimes the person we don't think about the most in this story, if you're Lazarus and you're on your sickbed and one of your closest friends, you sent the word and, and you've seen him do things. I mean, he's made people walk. He's healed bodies. He's given sight. He healed people by long distance. But he stays two more days. In fact, he says to his disciples, finally he looks, Jesus looks at his disciples because he's several days away from them. And as he looks at the disciples, he says, hey, I think it's time to go to Jerusalem. And, and they immediately, they go, whoa, whoa, time out, Jesus. Last time we were in Jerusalem, they tried to stone you. See, this is about three years into his ministry. He, his reputation has grown. The religious leaders don't like Jesus at all. He threatens their whole power structure. And they had tried to have him killed the last time he was in Jerusalem. And so his disciples say, hey, we don't need to go anywhere near there. 
And, and Jesus said, hey, it's daylight. It's time to go do the work that needs to be done. You don't need to worry about that. You work while it's daytime. And then he says this about Lazarus. Look at these words here. It's a little strange to us. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was talking about his rest, taking rest in sleep. So Jesus looks at him, he says, hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they go, okay, if he's just asleep, we don't have to worry about him. And what Jesus is talking about, and he's done this before. He'll talk about death and he'll refer to it as sleep. I don't know if you remember, it's not in John. We've not looked at it. But there's another miracle that Jesus did where he raised a little girl. And when he got to the house, everybody's crying. And he said to them, she's not dead, she's only asleep. Now, he, she wasn't really asleep. From our estimation, we would have declared her dead. Lazarus, at this point, would be declared dead. But see, Jesus can refer to it as sleep. Paul does the same thing. He talks about when you're a believer, and at the end of your life, when you die, it's like going to sleep. And part of this is really comforting. Because Jesus can make this declaration because he's the God of both realms. He's the God of this side of life and that side of life. And, and so if you're in him, if you're his child, when you cross over that threshold of death, it's just like going to sleep. It's like a child that's fallen asleep. I don't know if you've ever had a child that maybe falls asleep in the car on the way home. And as a parent, you love them, you take care of them, you carry them into the house, you place them in, in their bed. And when they wake up there, they, they don't even know how they got there. It's that beautiful image, and it's the same thing as a Christian. And I'd encourage you to hold on to that. The beauty of the fact that when we face death, it's like a child, he carries us. He's in control of us. But he's also in control of this side as well. And so when he looks at Lazarus, he knows he has the ability to not only carry him across, but also to bring him back. That's why he's not alarmed. He can wake him up. I mean, if, if I were to see one of you going to sleep, and uh, maybe it's in a church service, I see you going to sleep. I, I might get a little hurt, <laughs> but I wouldn't get alarmed. It wouldn't scare me to see that. Why? Because I would know. I mean, I could do something. I could clap my hands and you're going to wake up. In fact, some of you just woke up right now. You've gotten really comfortable on your sofa, settled in with that. See, I can bring you back. See, in the same way, when Jesus talks about Lazarus, he says, I've got the ability here because I'm in control of this situation. Now, his disciples are like, well, great. If he's asleep, then... We're not going to worry about him. So he has to make it explicitly clear. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, guys. <laughs> Let's get this. But for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, who was a twin, he said to his fellow disciples, I love his attitude here. He says, well, let us go that we may die with him. I mean, if he's dead in the grave and we go back to Jerusalem, they're going to stone us. They're going to kill us. So we might as well go, too. Uh, look at this line, though. It's kind of startling when Jesus said he's died, but I'm glad I was not there. Now, again, I put myself in Martha and Mary and Lazarus' shoes. How would you like to hear that? How, how would you like to hear 
the Jesus that you've reached out to, the Jesus who's one of your closest friends, you're laying on a bed dying. And his final words are, oh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not there. And, and as you look at this, and, and again, this is where I think we learn from these stories. This hard place of what they were hoping for, what they're expecting, and what they experienced. Here's where I think it applies to our life, if you look at it. Oftentimes, our expectations of what God should do clash with His plan for what He will do. And that's a key part. And when I say expectations here, I'm not talking about the outlandish expectations. Sometimes I have expectations of God I never should have. Uh, expectations he's like some cosmic vending machine just to give me what I want. I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking about the good expectations, the right expectations, the expectations when you want him to work, when you want him to heal, when, when it's somebody you love. And so the expectations of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, that God would work on their behalf. What happens when those expectations clash with his plan, when his plan is, is frankly totally different, it's hard. In fact, look at the story as they express this. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He's been in four days. In Jewish culture, the Talmud tells us they would mourn for seven days. It was seven hard days of mourning, and then they had 30 days of what they call lighter mourning with that. So they're right in the middle of the deep mourning. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. You remember the story of Martha and Mary, and a lot of times we give Martha a hard time because she was working and she was active and Jesus was, or Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And again, it's just their different temperament. You see it in this story. I like Martha. I think she's very straightforward. She's a woman of action. Mary's a woman of feeling. And they hear that Jesus has come. He's finally come after all this time. And Martha gets up. She's a woman of action. She's going to go address it directly. It's very telling to me that Mary doesn't leave the house. This is Mary that loved Jesus. This is Mary that sat at his feet. But she's so hurt, she doesn't get up to go see him. Martha goes directly to Jesus. and Look at it in a very straightforward manner. She said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, you want to talk about straightforward. This is exactly what we're wrestling with. We had the expectation you were going to come. Because we know if you had actually come, if you had actually been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And I love how she puts on the end of this, because Martha's a woman of faith. She's grappling with it. She says, but even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She doesn't even know what she's asking. She knows, I, I know God's working through you even now. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. They believed in this general resurrection. 
If you were a, a good Jewish believer, you believed if you were a righteous person, according to the law, that there would be a general resurrection at the end. At least the conservative Jews believed that. And so Martha is expressing, I, I know that he'll have a resurrection in the end. But Jesus goes, no, I want to go beyond general res resurrection to personal. Look, look what he says, these powerful verses as he continues. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's promising something now that are beyond the bounds of what they realize. And then he asked her, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. I mean, she, she's wrestling with putting this all together. And, and Jesus looks at her and he says, no, I'm not just talking about general resurrection for the righteous. I'm talking about a personal resurrection that can only come through me. And, and she doesn't have categories for this yet. I mean, she's just expressing what she knows. She knows that, that he's Messiah. She knows he's the one sent by God. But for them, Messiah was they were going to rescue the nation. She has no idea that he's come on a worldwide mission to bring eternal life to everyone. That's part of the reason he's doing this miracle in this way, even though it doesn't match their expectations. Martha goes back to the house and she tells Mary, Mary, he's looking for you. And Mary finally gets up and it says she goes quickly out of the house and the mourners think she's going to the grave, so they join her. And look as Mary comes to Jesus, and when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. The last time we saw Mary, she was sitting at his feet. She was listening to him. She loved him. She was learning from him. And now we see her at his feet now. She just falls down in grief. And, and, and she doesn't talk about resurrection. She doesn't talk about anything else. This is all she is, is fixed on. Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. I don't have any other answers. I don't have anything else I'm looking to. I'm hurting. And frankly, she's disappointed. And, and you can feel it with both of them. And I, I can only imagine, I, I mean, we're reading this story after the fact, if you're Jesus living it, and two of your closest friends come to you, and they, they look at you point blank and just if you had done what we had wanted, our brother wouldn't have died. And, and you feel that disappointment. See, here's the point in it as you look at it. When his plan does not match our expectations, we are disappointed. Let's be honest, we, we feel the same thing. We're disappointed in the circumstances. We're disappointed in the circumstances of how our life plays out. We get disappointed when the marriage ends in divorce. Disappointed when the prognosis comes. Disappointed when the person you love dies. Disappointed when you look up and you thought you were going to be married by now. Disappointed when you don't have a child. Disappointed when the job you were desperately holding on to is gone. And you don't know how you're going to make it. We know that disappointment. And the reality is, it's not just disappointment with circumstances if we're honest, we're disappointed in God. We're disappointed with what He chose to do. 
Because he could have done something here. See, that's in Mary's words. That's in Martha's words. And frankly, it's what we feel. We struggle with it. And we don't always know what to do with that. I like the words of Sheila Walsh. She hosted a show for years called The 700 Club. It was a Christian show, and they would tell these stories. And, and they were often faith-affirming stories. They were miracle stories. A lot of the stories we've been sharing in this series. One time, though, she got a letter from a young woman who was in her mid-20s who had cancer and multiple sclerosis. The young woman wrote, sometimes I watch your program and I'm helped. And sometimes I want to take off my shoe and throw it at the screen. Sheila was so fascinated with the response, she called her. They struck up a friendship. And in her honesty, one day she said to Sheila these words. She said, one of the things I hate about what you do on TV is you always present people whose marriages get better in 10 minutes. People who get healed. People have, who have the nice packaged answers. She said, what about people like me who are dying and still love God? What about people who take very few steps in life, but every step leaves a big impression in the snow because it costs every ounce of strength that they have left? Sheila said, my friend changed my perspective. Christianity is not this nice, everything's going to work out okay attitude. I think one of the greatest gifts we can give is just a dose of reality that life down here is disappointing. That God doesn't always give us answers, but he does always give us himself. I, I, I like that last line. We don't always get the answer we want. It's not always what we were expecting. It's not always what we're hoping for. Even when it's something good, it doesn't always match his plan. But he gives us himself. And, and I think that's the important part of this story. Before Jesus ever deals with Lazarus, notice he takes the time to deal with Martha and Mary. And I think it points out for us as well. Jesus gives us an audience to express our disappointment with him. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you are wrestling. You're wrestling with frustration. You're wrestling, frankly, with disappointment, maybe disappointment with how God's worked in your life or didn't work. And, and, and you hold those feelings, and, and sometimes we teach people that they can't really be honest with God with those feelings. Guys, if this story teaches you anything, it's because Martha, it's because Mary had such a close relationship with Jesus, they can be honest with him. I mean, if you read through Scripture, one of the core things you see is people that are wrestling with disappointment, people that are wrestling with pain, have the opportunity to cry out to God openly and honestly. Read through the Psalms. It's all full of it. Read through the lament. Read through people that, that are crying out as David cried out, as Jesus quoted the psalm on the cross. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear that cry of pain? And here's what I would encourage you. Maybe if you're wrestling, you need to take it to God. You need to tell him directly. He loves us enough 
give us that audience that we can talk to him, that we can even process our disappointments, not just with life, but with what he didn't do and what we thought he was going to do in that. It's what Mary did. It's what Martha did. And, and as we look in this story, the thing I love is you're not just talking to Jesus as a sounding board. You're talking to him because he's the God of the universe. Look as he goes on in the story with it. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. These two lines, deeply moved and actually greatly troubled, you know what it actually means? It means he was angry. He's angry in that moment. He's not angry at Mary. He's not angry at Martha. It's that same emotion we feel. I don't know if you hear it. When, when I hear the news last week of another shooting in our country, and I look at the horror of that, and you just go, that's so wrong. There's a part of me I feel angry. You feel that emotion out of it. He, he's angry at death. And, and, and then he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then this, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And this word wept means he's sobbing. This isn't just a gentle crying. He's sobbing. He hurts. And the Jews said, look how he loved him. But then you hear other ones whispering. They said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I mean, you feel all the emotions of the moment. You feel all the things that, frankly, we feel when we struggle with sickness and with death and with loss. I mean, I know I feel that. That place where, where Jesus comes and, and he's angry at it. And then he's sobbing in it. And he hears the whispers and the doubts in it. And, and all these things that are swirling in that. And there's a part of me, especially when I was younger, I'd read this part of the story and this part of the verse, and I, I would think, okay, Jesus, yeah, just move along. Get to the good stuff. I mean, get, get to the miracle. Why are you stopping here? But you know, now that I get older, I'm so thankful for this part of the story. I appreciate it that much more. I, I appreciate, and here's the point that he shows us, and you can see it. Jesus is not only the God of miracles, but he's also the man of sorrows. He's not only the God who shows up and can do these miraculous things, he's also the God who shows up and he feels it with us. And, and he's willing to identify in his humanity. Remember, he's God and he's man. There's no other religion in the world. Nobody else teaches like this. Nobody else did what he did. Because he was able to experience everything we experience. And i got to tell you, it, it means so much to me. I love the power of his miracles, but I connect with the fact that he hurt and he experienced the pain. Especially as I think about the pain in my life. And I, I don't say that lightly. I mean, I, I think over the course of my lifetime, the pain as a six-year-old little boy standing over the grave of your father. I remember that pain. The pain of sitting in a lawyer's office and watching my mom and stepfather fight over the assets as their divorce was finalized. The pain of desperately trying to get my brother out of alcoholism 
and then watching him drink himself to death at the age of 42. The pain of watching my mother battle mental illness, ultimately dementia as it robbed the last 10 years of her life. She passed away about a year ago. The pain of praying with my kids as they prayed desperately for their cousins and watching those two little girls both pass away from a dreadful disease. The pain of friends now who battle cancer and sickness and loss. See, when I I walk through that pain, I'm thankful that I have a God who's not just the God of miracles, He's also the man of sorrows. He knows because He put Himself there. Because He chose to experience it. And you can hold on to that. Some of you, as you grapple with your anger over what has happened, He knows what that feels like. Some of you, as you grapple with loss, He knows. Some of you, when all you can do is just curl up in a ball and sob, He knows what that feels like. We have a God who's not just the God of miracles. (laughs) He's also the man of sorrows who chose to experience, who understands like no one else, and who has an ability to do things that no one else can do. Look as he finishes out this story. Look at it. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone laid against it. Now we're going to see in just a week, there'll be another cave and another stone. So this is kind of a precursor for what's to come. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? You feel that kind of that righteous anger? He's angry at death. He's angry at what this means. And he steps forward and he says, all right, we're going to display power now. He says, move the stone out of the way. And she goes, we move the stone and everyone here is going to smell the stench of death. And see, this is this all-in moment. He wants them to feel the stench of death. He wants them to remove the stone because once you go to that place, there's no turning back. He wants them to fully realize, I am here to show you, yes, death is here, but somebody stronger than death is here as well. And as he continues, look at it. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Remember, all these miracles are so that we would believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I'm praying now because I want all these people to recognize what I'm about to do and that you're doing it through me. And so then Jesus, as the story continues, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind them. I mean, Jesus, he he comes to that in this all-in moment when everybody's watching. And this is why this is this culminating miracle. Remember, all these things are pointing and ultimately it's going to point us next week to Easter. 
Ultimately, next week, we're going to have another one come out of a tomb. But nobody's going to roll the, way, the stone for him. But see, this week builds toward this. And as Jesus stands at the edge of that tomb and he calls out to his friend and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus kind of waddles out. You know, they'd wrap him up with almost 100 pounds of linen and spice. And he's kind of waddling out. And Jesus says, you better unbind him. He's going to smother. We got to cut him free. And and I, I can only fathom. Can you fathom the years to come every time Lazarus would walk by that tomb? Every time he'd look over there and go, oh, yeah, I remember being in there. I remember coming out. See, Jesus did something that day that, frankly, nobody else was doing. And, and what he's proving, remember those words he said to Martha? What he's proving is this point right here. Jesus wants to prove to them, and he wants to prove to us. You can see it on your notes here, the point here. Jesus proves that he is the resurrection and the life. He's it. Look, I want to go back to what he said to Martha. Now it makes more sense than she even realized at the time. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then look at that last question, because I think it's the question for us. Do you believe this? Do you believe he could do this? See, this is why he did it the way he did. This is why his plan didn't match their expectations. It would have been so much easier for Jesus to just show up and heal Lazarus while he was still on his sickbed. It would have been so much easier from a distance. He could do that. Remember, we saw the miracle where he did that. From a distance, he just said, hey, be healed, Lazarus. And Lazarus was healed. But he did it this way because he needed to make this point that he is a resurrection in the life. And if you believe in him, you'll never die eternally. You'll never face eternal death, which, by the way, is so much worse than death in this lifetime. Guys, this verse, this promise is our hope. It's the hope we have. It's the hope I share at every funeral of someone who knows Jesus and has died. It's a hope at the graveside. It's the hope at the bedside. It's the hope and the disappointment in life that He is the resurrection and He is the life. Guys, this is the miracle we hold on to when we don't always get the miracle that we wanted. And that's a hard reality. But it's only a reality if you believe. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're struggling with. Some of you are wrestling with this because you're right in the throes of some of the things we're talking about. The pain of life is not some abstract concept for you. It's a reality right now. Some of you, maybe you're waiting on a miracle. And I'd encourage you, don't give up your expectation. Keep looking to Him. Keep trusting Him. And for some of you, you're living with maybe a loss, something hard that you never expected to face. Here's the promise. The miracle 
that for all of us, even if we don't get the miracle that we wanted, is that He is the resurrection and the life. I'd encourage you to believe Him. And this week as we go into Easter, as we look at what He did on Good Friday, as we look at His death and we look at His burial, burial, and then next Sunday, next weekend, as we celebrate His resurrection, as He proves it for all time, I'd encourage you to join us. Let's remember again that miracle. And maybe for you, you'd experience it for the first time. If you believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for how you walked on this planet, Jesus, how you took on human nature fully and you experienced all that we experience. Lord, I can't tell you how many times that's given me comfort to know that there is no pain I've faced in life that you haven't felt with me. Lord, I thank you that we have hope. Even in loss, we don't grieve like people without hope because we have a Savior who is the resurrection, who is the life. Lord, I pray for anybody who's struggling to believe that today. Or maybe anybody who's struggling to bring their disappointment to you today. I pray that they would look to you and believe that the God who worked this way in human history is still working this way today. Lord, we don't always understand how you work. We don't always get the miracle that we may want. But I thank you so much that you gave us the miracle that we need. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.